everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome, and of course, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Don't forget, in addition to my YouTube channel, you can also catch The Edric Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your favorite online streaming platforms. Please take a look, hit the subscribe button, drop us a comment, give us a like, let us know how we're doing as I continue to grow this thing from the ground up. Uh, my guest today is the very talented artist, Travis Prince. Travis is a self-taught artist who uses his gift to create works that spark conversations on the beauty of being human. His art focuses on education and social issues and the intricate relationships within the Black community. His thought-provoking series of paintings titled The Reader is currently on exhibition at the Everhart Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Travis is also the host of the YouTube series, Painting with the Prince, Art and Education, which features his interviews with contemporary artists and offers opportunities to observe and interact with Travis in real time while he's creating some of his paintings. Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Edric. Thanks for having me on. Very welcome, very welcome. So let's start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up? And um, when did you kind of know that you had a talent for, for creating such beautiful paintings? Um, well, I, I kind of have like a, a eclectic background. Um, so I was born in Atlanta, but never really lived there. I don't have any memories of Atlanta. It's just on my birth certificate. And um, my mother was from South Carolina and my father was from Philadelphia. Hmm. So I just always assumed that they both were in Atlanta and met there. My father uh, moved us up to Philadelphia. And those are like my earliest memories of childhood. Like, so I was in... Um, in Philadelphia elementary schools until I was about third grade. And then from there, we moved back to South Carolina. And that's where I did like the, the majority and, and the bulk of my growing up. So I tell everyone that, that I'm from South Carolina because I, I really feel like that's my home. That's where I, I matured and gained my personality and sense of self. Even though I wasn't born there, and even though I lived in a, a previous state before that, I still feel like South Carolina is my home. But um, as far as like my artistic interests, it's probably some of my earliest memories uh, that I still have of just coloring. Um, really, like some of my oldest memories are coloring books. I just always remember love loving to color like the He-Man comics and stuff like that, and um always like sketching and, and doodling, you know, as long as I can remember, um, like kindergarten and everything. And uh, I remember when I was in about sixth or seventh grade, my, my grandmother pulled out this little keepsake box and um, she had a drawing from when I was like in first grade or something that I couldn't even remember I did, but she was like, boy, you've been, you've been doing this forever. <laughs> And I imagine at some point, more than just your grandmother, someone came up to you and said, hey, young man, you've got something here. So uh, what was that process like? When did you like when outside of family, when people start recognizing that you're, you were talented? Well, the, the, the first time um, I noticed somebody take a, a real interest in, in my ability, it was kind of in a a, a real like side handed way. Um, I can remember one time it was maybe fifth grade and we were in art class and our assignment was to um, draw an image 
from a reference photo and the art teacher had like all these pictures of like flowers and ladybugs and butterflies and everyone could pick a picture and try to draw that. And I picked a photograph of um, a portrait of a woman uh, from the profile. Hmm. And throughout that period in art, I sat and I took my time and I tried to, you know, draw this lady's profile. And I noticed that um, when the art teacher came around to assess how far we were in our works, she got to me and she she paused and now she she never said anything directly to me, but she looked at my art and she looked at the picture and she took my my drawing and put it over the picture and held it up to the light to see if I traced it. Wow. And so, but she never, she and she said it now, she's like, that's real good. But it, it took me a long time to realize that the art teacher couldn't believe that I freehand drew this image at, you know, at that age where I was at. And so I think in a way that's the first time that I understood that somebody else had acknowledged the ability that I had to, to render an image. Hmm. Um, and you describe yourself as being self-taught. Um, talk to me about that. What what is self-taught being me? I mean, did you have teachers? Did you have, or was it pretty much um, you just kind of figured it out as you went went along? Yeah, well, I I consider self-taught because um, I didn't go to university, and okay. so once once you're out of high school and you don't have the elective that you can select whatever you want to do, and like you try to get gear yourself towards a certain career and delve into that um, aspect and have to pay for it. And that's why I feel like uh, you receive like real training. And so for the simple fact that I never uh, attended college and, and never had like hardcore course studies in um, art history and concept and design and all of that, all, all I ever had was just um, regular art classes throughout like middle school and high school. And so um, in that way, uh, I'm very lucky because um, the art teachers that I had in public school were very, very good teachers. <laughs> and I, I um, realized early on that I, I had learned a lot from them. Um, later on in life, in my mid-20s, I uh, had a mentor in Virginia and he recognized my ability at that time and told me that uh, he taught some classes twice a week and he wanted me to, you know, come sit in one of his classes. And what he said was, I, I just want you to sit and observe and see if there is anything you can take from my, from my instructions because I showed him some of my work previously. He said, well, you know how to paint, so I can't teach you how to, how to paint, but I can show you a different way of creating a painting. And so um, I took him up on that offer and I sat in his class one Friday and he gave me an assignment instead of, uh, I thought I was just there to observe. And he said, uh, he introduced me to the class and then he gave me this canvas and he started uh, explaining this, uh, the, pr the first project he gives all his students. And he says, well, I want you to do this and do this. And I, I said, well, I thought I was just here to observe. He's like, well, if you're if you're gonna be here, you might as well do something. And so at the end of that class, um, 
he said, all right, I'll see you next Friday. And I'm like, okay, I'll see you next Friday. And um, I came back the next Friday and he pulled out the painting and said, all right, this week I want you to do X, Y, Z and um, call me if you need any help. And at the end of that class, he said, well, I'll, I'll see you next Friday. <laughs> and so the third week I went there before class, I put him to the side and um, his name is um, Bill Harris. Uh, I would consider him to be a master artist. And I pulled Bill to the side and I said, dude, look, I, I really enjoy coming here. He, at that time, I think the class I was in, he had a, maybe 11 students in there. And I said, I want to keep doing this, but you know, um, what are your rates and, and how do I pay? I don't want to, you know, get four and five lessons in and then, right. you know, you ask for like a lump sum or something. Right, <laughs> right, right. He was like, he's like, no, look, he's like, um, I try to quote him verbatim too. So he, he said, look, Travis, I, I do pretty well with art sales and, you know, I have like tons of students and I do pretty good with the art classes and workshops. So if, you know, one or two of my students don't pay for lessons. It's not that big of a deal to me. Now, you don't need to go telling everybody that, but if you continue to paint, that is your payment for taking my classes. Wow. I just want you wow. to always continue to paint and to progress and grow. And I was like, you got it, dude. And um, I think that's that was the point when I, I really started taking it serious more than just a hobby. And um, so I took his class for two years, never charged me a dime. And I, I honestly think in those two years, he advanced me maybe 10 years. If I would have just continued to paint on my own and figured out myself, it would have took me a, a lot longer to understand the, um, the techniques that he showed me in just those two years. Um, in addition to that, um, obviously you were probably looking at art. Were there some favorite or some of your favorite artists or were there someone who whose art you you saw and, and attracted you to it? I mean, uh, how did you merge the technique with the inspiration for maybe some other artists? Well, it's kind of cliche, but like one of my uh, favorite artists as a kid is just Bob Ross, you know, and um I remember there was, um, right before Bob Ross came on, there was this lady and the name of her show was One Stroke Painting. And she would show you how to do like these really nice, simple, but pretty, you know, paintings. And then the joy of painting with Bob Ross. And then after Bob Ross, there was um, uh, Michael somebody and he did watercolors. And that was my little block. And I would never miss those shows, even as, you know, I was what? nine ten years old and um yeah like bob ross is probably like one of my first major influences in art and um and then uh just seeing the, the uh classic images that we we all remember but nobody really knows where they come from like the old paintings of santa claus drinking coca-cola that's norman rockwell rockwell work. right right yeah and then like the old um Boy Scouts covers and, and pamphlets and stuff like that was that was all Norman Rockwell and he was probably my second major influence um, once I started seeing more of his work and just the the amount of detail that he would put into his pieces and the way he would just make a, a normal 
average everyday scene it's it looks grand and beautiful and it's just a family having thanksgiving dinner or it's a kid at the barber shop or you know a, a couple going fishing and he just always found a way to make the mundane seem like brilliant to me and um just taking average everyday people and putting them on this scale and kind of saying that you know we are all important you know every everybody's important and we go through our daily lives but we all play and add a part to the human story and capturing those little moments of uh like intimacy between just people and families just always really intrigued me about his art and so he he was definitely a, a major major influence and um later on uh looking at people like um henderson and um it took me a while to get into uh basquiat but my middle school art teacher um introduced me to some of his stuff and uh seeing like um how our art was a subcategory of art like you have you have art and then you have black art you know and it's like mm -hmm. uh and looking at like the older black artists and not really being able to categorize their stuff fascinated me and even like um contemporary painters like um Kahende Wiley and Fahamu Peku, like they create these images that is black art, but it's it's really breaking those boundaries now. And you know, our art is art and it's mainstream art and it's it's modern contemporary art and it doesn't need like a subcategory on it anymore. It's interesting you say that because actually my next question was about um we often try to categorize art. We often try to put it in uh is it impressionism is it abstract um and 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 do you think that paradigm still applies um and if if not how would you describe your art um i think on a on a larger scale to um just for conversational reasons we we would have to like categorize broad sections of art but my thing is the the racial tones to it you know like uh you know mexican-american are this, like i don't we don't need that so if you if you want to have like uh postmodernism or impressionism or um cubism it doesn't matter what race you are you know if you want to do uh surrealism or realism you know it it still doesn't it all can fit into those categories without having like this this racial tone to it because even the, the greatest artist what Pablo Picasso took a lot of inspiration from African art right. and African masks and um so these these uh, uh re revered Italian artists had you know African influences heavily in their art and so but they didn't feel the need to um you know, categorize it extra than other than just the art form itself. But with my art, it's kind of like um, I like I like to uh, call it like realism, and not like um, 
not as as far as the details, but kind of like how I was saying about Norman Rockwell, where it's just real normal everyday people, you know. And I and I really tried to um, just implement the average person and kind of show aspects of real life at the at the same time, um, trying to incorporate um, some some layer of like meaning that's that would allow the viewer to to start asking questions and when i say that it's just that um like some pieces of art are are strictly aesthetically pleasing you look at it and it's beautiful to the eyes and it's appealing to to you know take in visually and but does it make you like think about something or question something or you know um what does it make you want to start a discussion over the emotional reaction that you receive from the piece and so even even though i i, I try to uh use my portraits in a, in a in a realistic way i also try to add a a, a certain layer of um inquisitive inquisitiveness to it and questioning to it and just so that you don't walk away from the piece just thinking to yourself oh that was pretty you know you walk away from the piece thinking that wow well if that image is true then you know this thing that i was thinking or this thing that i was feeling has this same correlation to it <laughs> and and you leave you leave the piece taking a piece of it with you is what I, I and it's hard for me to um it's hard for me to uh like categorize that in in a type of way you know so i i don't like being pigeonholed into like a certain genre and um the more that i i understand uh abstract art i have been implementing a lot more um, abstractions into my portraits to convey um, different types of emotions. And so I really, really haven't like I said. I really don't like defining my art as a certain genre, un unless we can just call it art and education. Makes perfect sense, and um, I liken it to you know, as my viewers would know, I'm a, I'm a huge Prince fan, and. You couldn't categorize Prince. He was just a musician, just made music. Yeah, and, and I think exactly. that's kind of what you're getting at is that we limit ourselves when we try to put things in boxes that are convenient and it it, it doesn't challenge and it doesn't move the culture, in my opinion, in some time. So uh, well said, well said. Um, before we get into your series as a reader, I have another quick question for you about Scranton, Pennsylvania. And unfortunately, I'm out here on the West Coast. My only knowledge of Scranton, Pennsylvania, for the most part, unfortunately, comes from the political world where uh, it's often used as a uh, example of quote unquote, middle America, or not even middle America, but working class blue collar, uh, white areas, right. But in doing my research on you and, and, and learning more about you and, and where you are, uh, there's actually a really thriving African American community in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So maybe you can touch a little bit on that. Uh, and and the role you play in in helping to create that culture there. Yeah, so um, 
I moved to the area about uh, 12 years ago, and it only took me, no lie, it, it took me like two weeks before I had to Google the demographics of this area. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm going, in, I'm going into a restaurant. I'm the only black dude in there. I'm in the grocery store. It's just me and the cashier. We're like the only two black people in the entire grocery store in the middle of a Saturday where it's like, you know, 40, 50 people in and out of the store right now. And it's, it's like, wow. So uh, demographics, African-American, 4.9%. <laughs> um and a population is like 89,000 or something. And so um I started to uh kind of seek out you know the community and it's like where y'all hiding the black people at, you know? <laughs> and so um really even at that time I was I was really um in a in a nice groove with the art and so as soon as I got here wherever I go I, I look for museums and galleries. So I got here and um, became a member of this one gallery. So just to be out in the public and to mingle and to meet people. And it just so happened that I, I met this, this uh, wonderful young lady and um, she invited me to do a pop-up art exhibit with her. Um, and through her, that's, that's when I realized, okay, there are like, a nice black community here. And what she was doing at the time was um, trying to research uh, the accomplishments and, um, and the influences that the African-Americans have had in the, the uh, Northeast PA region and, and the um, Lackawanna County, which is where Scranton is based, is in Lackawanna County. And just to see like, how long have we been here and, and you know what have we accomplished since we've been here and so she uh delved deep into you know the historical archives and found out that we've been here for since the uh mid 1800s hmm. uh early 1800s and you know we had our, our own mail couriers and our own fire department and we we own hotels and and a bunch of stuff in the area but but this was doing like the coal mining era too and so after the coal went out um and the industry subsided a lot you, you know who loses their jobs first and right. a lot of people migrated out and you know tried to find prosperity elsewhere but there's still a, a, a nice thriving community here and my friend, she created a nonprofit organization called the Black Scranton Project. And it is uh, dedicated to uh, researching and archiving all the historical achievements that we've been able to, to dig up in this area. And a couple of years ago, we were able to acquire uh, an old bank building and make it into our center. And so we're currently um, going through the renovation phase and so hopefully next year we can like open the center up to the public and really give the, the african-american community a home base for um all our after school programs summer programs for um, youth and young adults we're going to implement like every aspect of um steam 
science, technology, engineering, art, math. You plan on having a production studio, a recording studio, um, teaching um, basic home ec skills, gardening, uh, self-defense, meditation, uh, any anything that is used to build a community and any individual who is proficient in the skill and is willing to help educate the next generation, we're trying to build a central hub for all of that. And so um, it's well underway and we have um, a lot of allies and a, you know absolute support from the community. So um, like we're, we're doing good right now. And I can, I, in the foreseeable future, I, I really think this is going to be um, a legacy project, you know, where what's the saying goes, you, um, you must be willing to plant a tree knowing that you may not be able to sit in its shade. And so we're all working towards building that tree and growing that canopy where, you know, long after we gone, people can still sit under the shade and harvest the fruit. I appreciate you sharing Abby. And again, it's just the power of art. Me learning about you and your art and learning about where you're from opened me up to this whole view of Scranton, Pennsylvania that literally I had no idea. And um, I, I just think that's, uh, that's a, some great stuff you guys are doing there because the narrative gets out there, but you know, like you say, African-Americans have been there, are there, uh, and, and have contributed there. And it's, it's nice when you get that side of the story, so to speak. Um, let's talk now about your series, The Reader. Uh, I had a chance to see some of those pieces in person. Um, let me ask you, uh, what motivated you to create the series? Uh, and that's the one I mentioned in the opening. It's currently showing at the uh, Everhart Museum in, in Scranton. Um, and then you have a real unique aspect of every painting in terms of the literary choices you make in the books that you're showing uh, in the pieces. So what's the larger message uh, that you're trying to say with the pieces and and where did that inspiration come from to create this work? Um, the The overall message is we need to read more. Simple as that. Um, the old saying is, "You want to hide something from a black person? Put it in the book." Put it in the book, <laughs> right? You know, and and so for for generations we were denied education, um, and the little bit of education that we were given was uh, tainted and twisted uh, in order to to serve the individuals that were were given us this information. And um, but uh, one amazing statistic that I uh, I heard was that you know during slavery um, it was something like less than ten percent of uh, enslaved people were literate. Very very few uh, individuals could read anything at all, and if they were able to read, it was uh, more than likely some passages from the Bible that told them to be good slaves. Um, after slavery ended, uh, I think it was, I think they said maybe 40 years, um, about 40 years after slavery, uh, I think the numbers went up almost to 50% of the, uh, African Americans in the, in the country were literate, you know? So it's like, it's not like they couldn't read, they were just denied the education and, and 
individuals understand the power of the written word and um, giving it an intrinsic value. And I really think that we've we've strayed away from wanting to educate ourselves from our own perspectives. And so I've always been an avid reader, um, almost parallel with my art. I really, really enjoy reading um, as a kid. Uh, it was the comic books for me because it's it's art at the same time. You know, you're you're reading these beautifully crafted stories about these magnificent uh, individuals with great powers and every page is just bold and bright and colorful and the characters are just amazing. And so um, going from uh, comics to graphic novels to uh, the classic um, adventure stories and sci-fi stories, um, Huck Finn and uh, of Mice and Men and uh, Lord of the Flies and all these great tales, the, the great Gatsby and all these things. And I love that, um, that type of literature growing up. And uh, I remember I was 34, I was 32 years old and was in a conversation with this guy and he uh, said something about uh, Dr. Francis Cress Wilson. He's like, cause you know, uh, you read her book, right? And I'm like, I have no idea who this lady is. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what? He's like, man, you ever seen Hidden Colors? And I'm like, nah. <laughs> he's like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta let you borrow my copy of Hidden Colors. And so uh, a young guy from, I think, I think he's from Baltimore, uh, Tariq Nasheed did uh, this documentary entitled Hidden Colors. And so I watched that and I was just like, holy crap. I've never heard of any of these scholarly educated African-Americans telling me uh, our history from our perspective. Mm -hmm. And it blew me away. And I was like, who are all these people? <laughs> Who is uh, Dr. Ben Yakinen and um, uh, Dr. Amos Wilson and Francis Cress and uh, Ivan von Sertimer? And I'm like, I've never heard of any of these people. And so I was extremely taken aback that you know, from the simple fact that I love to read so much and I would consider myself a pretty bright guy and um, even went to like a, a, a semi-private high school where I felt like I got like one of the best educations and I read like more books in high school than I can remember. And, it's, and somehow I was still being presented information that I was completely unaware of. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel very, very uncomfortable. I did not, I, I can't really ex express the feeling, but I, it was extremely uncomfortable that I knew nothing. I, I didn't know as much as I thought I did about ourselves and our history. And so I, I took it upon myself to seek out these authors and read their, read their writings and, and see their perspective because they're, um, 
they're historians and they're psychologists and they're, um, uh, you know, these are very learned people. And so the first book that I read was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And once again, just being so cliche, it's like, I need to start somewhere. <laughs> and so um, as I'm, as I'm reading this, it's, it's like, it, it, halfway through the book, I was so like entwined with this thing. I called my aunt and cause one of my aunts always bought me books for every gift, birthday, Christmas or whatever. She's like one of my biggest um, inspirations when it comes to like reading. And so I called my aunt and I said, I said, Hey, why you ain't, why you ain't never, uh, get me a copy of Malcolm X. <laughs> she's like, she's like, what? I'm like, come on, you, you, man, you had me read all these books when I was, when I was a kid. And, but you ain't never, why ain't you never give me this? And she said, well, I don't know. I, I didn't think you would be interested in something like that. And so now I felt like I was almost being neglected in a, in a kind of way. And, um, then I read uh, Huey P. Newton, mm -hmm. and, I, and I called one of my uncles. I was like, hey, man, why you never tell me about the Black Panthers and they made the WIC program and uh, Reagan had to change the gun laws in That's California? Right. And like, I was like, dude, why, why? And now in this frustration, it's like, I, I couldn't get enough. You want to read um, everything at that point, right? The story exactly. I couldn't get enough of our story from our perspective because right. all I ever heard was other people tell these stories and not hearing it from the horse's mouth. And so, once I, I put myself on this reading regiment where I'm I'm trying to read you know like a book a month, and then, so now I'm I'm starting to have these different conversations, uh, like the the young guy who who introduced me to hit to the Hidden Colors documentary. So now when I'm talking to other people about um, the ISIS papers and, you know, what does the game of billiards really represent and um, what does the word religion really mean? And, and now I'm realizing that a lot of us are left out of this portion of literature. Um, African studies are, um, and so I was, I sat back with it for a while and I had played around with two paintings um, early on, just uh, trying to put a book or something in into the painting to just give it that little spark, like um, like literature can educate you. And so, like the first two pieces that I created, they were. They were still more, more portrait than anything else. And so uh, I read um, The Destruction of, of African Civilization by Chancellor Williams. And that was probably one of the first books that really, like, really, really had me thinking about, like, history in general, you know, like, just world history and, and how they say that, you know, history is written by the victor. And so to understand that Chancellor really, you know, 
trekked all over Africa for years, getting this oral and written history and, and compiling it into a legit history book. And then to come to find out the Chancellor Williams is from South Carolina. Hmm. Wow. I grew up in South Carolina. Never heard this man's name, never knew anything about him until I was 35 years old. And I'm like, this cannot be like what? How, how, how does is that it happen, possible? man? Yeah. How does that yeah. happen? How does that happen? You know, and for my entire life, nobody I know ever like tried to put me on this type of information. And so that's when I was like, well, everybody got to know about this book. And so um, the, the first legitimate installment of the reader series, I would say, is is the Chancellor Williams piece. And in that painting, I, I wanted to. Uh, just to look very dignified and studious. And I made the cover of the book the focal point. And so I'm, I'm sitting in a suit and there's a bookcase behind me and there's like dozens of books on the shelves. But this book is so prominent and so centered to the piece that it's automatically the first thing that you look at. And so after I, after I did the Chancellor Williams piece, um, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make a trilogy and do three of them. And so I did um, Dr. King and Malcolm X. And so I had those three paintings and I'm like, that's a pretty good series, you know? And um, a couple of months later, after working on some more stuff, I was, I was reading something else. Um, I think that's when I really got into Dr. Amos Wilson. And I was like, well, this book has to be a part of the reader series. And so, I, I did another one and another one. And so I did about six of them and I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's the end of the series. That's a good collection. <laughs> and then the more I read and the more I realized that, you know, a lot of people never even read like the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. I'm like, well, I guess I got to put that in the painting. And Oh, you guys never read this one. Well, I guess I got to put that in the painting. And so it's, it came to this point where um, me literally trying to bridge my two passions, um, which is reading and just the concept of reading in itself is obtaining information or obtaining knowledge. So that's its, its own paradigm where you can actually uh, shape your own thoughts and, and educate yourself by the process of um, you know picking these words up off the page, and and then in the combination of the the pure visual um, creative form uh, through the paints, and so I just said this is the thing you know to put these two things together just seems so obvious and so simplistic, and at the same time it's it's. It's so deep and so complex to, to see the image of a black person reading a book written by a black person. And at the core of the reader series, and that's what it is. And I've had, you know, other ethnic groups say, oh, well, you know, I want to be in that. And it's like this series is not for you. Hmm. 
You know, this mm-hmm. this is it's for it's for everyone, and everybody can learn from it. But the visual part, we need the representation the most, and it's it's um primarily for us and secondarily for everybody else. But it's it's gotten a, a really good response, and people are en- are enjoying it. And um, I've had several people from all races just say. The same thing, like I've never heard of these authors before. And uh, well, I just ordered that one online because that one looked really interesting. Or, um, you know, the one that a lot of people do know is um, The Narrative of Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had two people say, well, I, I did have to read that in college. And you know what? It, it makes me want to read some of these other writings as well. And it's it's that spark and um in in the viewer's mind and say maybe i should try to educate myself a little more maybe if i hear the story from a different perspective i will have a better overall view of the of the what's reality because there's you know three sides to a story your side my side and then there's the truth and we can't get to the truth without having like both sides in there and seeing where this stuff overlaps. And so it's it's a, it's definitely a educational piece for all of us, but it's more of a cry to our own community to say, let's let's pick up these books and let's let's understand why we are in the situations that we're in now and why do we feel internally the way that we feel. We have people who have studied us and they've put in words to every situation you can think about and the more we're able to to have knowledge of self and to try to build a a common unity mm-hmm. then we're on the right track because everybody else has a common unity and you know but for some reason we we, we still grasp at it so hard and it seems it still seems like so aloof to us for some reason and um, I'm I'm just hoping that my reader series just uh, inspires these type of conversations, and so we can we can talk and try to uh, figure out solutions to really really challenging problems. Well, it, it's a brilliant concept, and and just the way you executed it was perfect. It conveys all of the right messages, and for me personally, um, my epiphany came, and you actually have a a, a depiction of the book where my epiphany is kind of like what you went through. I was in college. I didn't go to college right after high school. Um, and it's in your, uh, your uh, painting, Elijah Muhammad. And off to the side, one of the books included in the stack is my favorite book, which is They Came Before Columbus by Ivan Van Sertima. That book changed my life. And, and I, there's no other way to say it because what it did, it, it deconstructed the slave narrative. And what I mean by that is it showed front and center that Black people were here long before the slave trade. So that means some Black people may not have come from slaves, right? And mm-hmm. teaching that in the schools takes away, because we're, we're so caught up in that paradigm of slave narrative, slave narrative, slave narrative, but there were free people here. And how would our young kids and children feel if they were taught that all Black people didn't come from slaves? And so when I saw that book, uh, that was my go yes 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 because that book literally um changed my whole perspective on 
on history, especially history of our people, man. So thank you for that, for, for picking that one, because that, that one's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, and, and that's just like um, a psychological advantage, mm-hmm. you know, of, of being able to have a positive view of your history and your heritage. It's a psychological plus. Right. You know, and um, if uh, that's the one thing that I would say to 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 any any white person when it comes to, oh, there is no such thing as white privilege. If there isn't, if you still have this psychological plus of knowing your lineage and where you come from, because, you know, you're from England or Ireland or Germany and all of this stuff. And we have been almost totally disconnected from that because we haven't read von Sertimer, you right. know? <clears throat> right. And so we don't, we don't have that psychological plus of that. No, uh, the people that I descend from were circumnavigating the globe hundreds of years before Columbus. They're, you know, they're doing um, sample analysis on Egyptian mummies that are 6,000 years old and finding tobacco and cocaine in their systems, but tobacco and cocaine only grow in South America. Right. And right. so before any light skin or, or any other variation of, of people around, we were already doing uh, trade goods between South America and Africa hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so this is a psychological plus that most people don't understand that we were already over here um, starting our own cultures and our own civilizations. And um, I'm currently... On this other thing, I haven't read anything on it specifically yet, but I, I've listened to a, a few people doing podcasts that saying that um, um, maybe a, early on, a lot of the enslaved, quote unquote, African-Americans may have been indigenous to this land mm-hmm. and were already here mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, got mixed in with, a, with people they were bringing from other, other um, parts of the world. But there was there were dark skinned people everywhere. We already we already been everywhere, you know. And and like you say, Von Sertimer breaks it down very well, very well. You know, um, all the way up and down the Mexican coast, all the way up to Florida, we already been right. The depictions of the the statues down in in the ancient Olmec yeah. areas, and just I mean, we can go on and on and on about that book. And um, but again, when I saw that book, man, that was such a uh, an enlightening moment for me because. It, it immediately cemented exactly what you were talking about, that, that epiphany that people have when they realize that this information is out there and readily available and how it could really help you uh, put things together in terms of why things are the way they are. So uh, I, I, again, I salute you for this because it's such an important series and um, it just matters. <laughs> no other way to say it, it just matters, especially at this day and time with everything going on uh, in our current political environment. Um, let me ask you now about your YouTube series, Painting with Prince, uh, Painting with the Prince, Art and Education, because um, not only do you have uh, interviews with contemporary artists and peers, uh, what I found fascinating was you actually um, live stream sometimes when you're painting and, and going through your creative process and getting people, showing people a different side of it. Um, so how did the series come about and um, what's it like when you're actually in real time streaming, but you're also creating and interacting with people while you're doing it. Well, um, I don't, I don't really recall why I started to do it, but um, 
I can remember when the the PlayStation uh, 4 first came out, and I'm a big gamer too, uh, just because video games are interactive art. And so 90 to 90% of people who make video games are artists. You got to have character designs, background designs, colors, map makers. And it's like, uh, and music, don't forget sound and music. That's a big part of video games. All of that as well. Right, exactly. Right, so right. games are very, uh, very much a, a form of art. And so, um, Anyway, so I got the got the PlayStation and they had this new feature where you can like stream your video games live and and post them on YouTube. And so um, going into other people's live streams, I noticed like a lot of people just weren't playing video games. They're like, you know, showing their their party or cooking. And I was like, wow, people are making like their own like unique channels about stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just set my camera up and, and paint on camera and see, you know, what type of viewers and what kind of traction that gets. And um, I still don't have a lot of viewers now, uh, a lot of subscribers now, but you know, over the, over the years, I've had a very solid core of uh, really good people who have uh, followed my um, YouTube channel. And one of the, the main reason I wanted to do it is once again, I'm just a a major fan of Bob Ross. Like I say, ever since a little kid, and I figured I can just make my own Bob Ross show <laughs> and do the thing like that. And uh, but actually, uh, and I think what all those painter shows, um, how they intrigue people is is the process itself because you can go to a gallery or a museum and look at some very beautiful art but um without seeing those hours and hours that it takes to like actually create this piece and to see it um come to fruition from a blank canvas and i can't do it as fast as bob ross did it because he had to do a painting in 30 minutes a lot but, of trees um, man a lot of trees oh yeah a lot of trees and, and waterfalls <laughs> right 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 <laughs> but uh but i i think um the viewer has a a more um, in-depth understanding and a deeper appreciation and engage more and and build uh, somewhat this, the same connection as the artist when you can see the process that the piece has to go to before it's finished and. Um, and once I realized that people were enjoying it, I've just been doing it ever since. And so I've, I've been doing a, a live stream for about six years and maybe about three years ago, um, I met this one guy and he's a, a filmographer and he uh, a videographer and he does like all the recordings for um, like the city's public works, like city council meetings and county meetings and all those things. And, and we were talking one day and I showed him my YouTube channel. He's like, you should make this into like a real show. And I'm like, I don't have any way to do that. He was like, well, we have access to the studio. And so if you want to have like a real studio show, we can do that. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. Because on my YouTube channel, I can 
I can curse and eat I cereal if you want to. <laughs> I can eat cereal. I can, I can do whatever I want. Right, right. But you know, if this is going to be like aired to like you know the public, I would I would have to be like you know like more professional and more constrained. And I was like, I don't I don't know if I want to you know do it that way. And then like a couple of months later, he he made the suggestion again. Said, Hey, Travis, I really think like if you got in the studio. Um, I think people would watch it. So I was like, okay, okay, let's, let's do this thing. And so I, I asked a couple of people if they wanted to be interviewed and, um, got in the studio and, and it's, uh, and so the, the one thing is that, um, my live stream and my studio show are like two separate things. Sure, I live sure. stream from the house and they, um, the more uh, professional show is called Roundtable Discussions. Okay. And so before the first episode is like, so how do you want to do this? I'm like, well, I don't want nothing big. I just want, you know, me and one guest at a time. And so we got the name because the table in the studio was round. And I said, I just wanted to be like a Charlie Rose setup. And just like this, you know, a, a interviewer and one guest or a host and a guest. And so he said, let's do it. And so we, we did a couple of episodes and um, a lot of people liked it and it, it aired on, on our public access channel. And, and so he said, hey, you know, we got to do some more of these. And so we have two seasons now. I think it's 18 episodes. And, and so what I try to do is just find local artists and introduce them to the community mm -hmm. and ask everybody the same questions, you know, like, how did you get into art and what keeps you motivated and what keeps you inspired and how do you uh, balance digital, the, the, the new digital art world with the traditional art world and just try to get people's perspectives on art in general. And uh, I really enjoy doing it. I still enjoy doing uh, my YouTube live stream more because like I say, it's, it's in my own studio. I'm, I'm at the house. I'm way more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And but the but getting to uh, sit down with the artist and and hearing their words and so you don't have to like interpret their art, you know. And some some people leave their art up and up to interpretation. But you know, I, I really really love art and I'd like to understand how other artists think. And so being able to you know admire a piece of art and then talk to the creator and ask them to break it down. And so, you know, what led to this idea and how did you uh, tackle this problem? And did you have an issue with this? And um, it really fascinates me. And I, and I just enjoy having those conversations. Um, I have a couple minutes left. So first I want to uh, thank you because I first met you at our initial iArt Sassoon, uh, which was our uh, inaugural cultural festival here in Sassoon City. Uh, where we had artists and uh, dance and um, craftsmen and and, um, and you came all the way out here for that. So uh, and you were rocking the iArt Sassoon jersey on one of your live shows. So thank you for that, too, for the shout out. Um, how did you hear about that? And um, how, what motivated you to come, you know, this far uh, all the way out to California to to participate in that event? So, um uh i think i actually uh i'm a subscribed to this website called uh entry for artists okay and it just gives a list of all the open art exhibits across the country 
And I've just been wanting to come to the West Coast and like share my art over there for a long time. And and so I seen that there was um, the event going on and I went to the email and said, hey, I would, I would love to come out there and they um, show Princess some of my art mm -hmm. via emails. And she was like, yeah, dude, this is great. Come <laughs> out here and, and, and fellowship with us. And and so I was uh, lucky enough this year to win a, um, a artist grant, um, the Ephemont Beeland Art Scholarship. And, you know, in my uh, proposal, uh, putting on an art tour was the main focal point. And once again, uh, I think the Rita series is such a, a strong body of work with a, a really um, prominent and powerful message that I need as many people as possible to see these things in person. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so uh, just by um, being awarded that grant, it, it facilitated these trips that I've taken this year. And um, I've been able to achieve the exact effect that I wanted to, for the art to make a connection with you, for you to make a connection with me, for us to have these conversations. And this is exactly what I wanted to happen. And I, I just appreciate the community and the center for inviting me out and uh, letting me you know, be a part of the things you have going on over there. And it was a very, very great experience. Like the turnout was awesome. The food was great. The music was great. The poetry, the art. And I'm I'm just pleased that I was able to be a part of that. No, we, we really appreciate having you. And shout out to Princess Washington, Aaron Sinsel, uh, Lorraine Meek, and myself, who are uh, Recreation Park Marine Arts Commissioners here in our, our city of Sassoon City. And this was the first of its kind event we've ever had. And uh, we're looking forward to the next one. And so, again, thank you for participating because uh, it really, really enhanced uh, the entire program. So thank you. Um, last question for you. Um, what's next? And, and I'll have to have you back on because we didn't even get into hip hop and music because I, I have some questions for you about hip hop. Now, did I did you produce a hip hop song or a rap song? I, 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 uh, I made you, two albums. Okay, yeah, because I saw something out there about that. And I, so I want to have you back, man, to talk about music because I'm a big hip hop fan. As you see, I got Dilla and, and Tribe on my wall back there. Um, yeah. So we can, we're going to have that conversation. We'll put that aside. But um, what's next for you in terms of exhibits or um, where people can come and, and check out your, your, your work? Uh, so, like you mentioned several times before, I'm currently exhibiting at the Everhart Museum of Art and Science in Scranton, PA. Um, my next big show will be at the University of Scranton. Uh, I'll be there in February of next year. And then uh, in April of next year, I will be at the Waverly Community House, which are all based in Northeast PA. But um, I'm still looking to take one more trip somewhere, <laughs> but I'm not exactly sure sure where yet. So I've been to um, Kansas City, Tennessee, and California. So there's still enough in the budget to, to try to go one more place. So that's still undetermined. But um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be at, a, at the University of Scranton, and uh, hopefully that'll be a good show as well. All right. Well, uh, again, Travis, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed your work. Uh, you have such an eye and messaging and just the way you 
convey the message that you're trying to put out there is just spot on. And so uh, I, I just want to commend you for for using your talents to educate and enlighten and, and inform people uh, about our culture, uh, the history of our culture. And it's such, as I said before, it's so needed in today's environment. So thank you for sharing your your talent with the world. All right, this is the Edric Show. Uh, I am your host, Edric. Oh, before I do that, uh, if people want to get a hold of you or uh, they want to see your work, uh, I'll put some links in the description on the YouTube channel. But where can they go to to get a hold of you? Uh, everything is paintings by the Prince. My last name is Prince, and I make paintings, so that just seems kind of obvious. But if you um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything is paintings by the Prince. Awesome. And like I say, we'll put a link in the description so people can check uh, you out. Again, thank you so much. Uh, this has been another episode of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. I always promise this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Check us out on YouTube. Don't forget Spotify. Don't forget Apple Podcasts, any and all of your favorite online streaming podcast platforms. Uh, I'm there. So please check me out. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, give us a like. Leave us a comment. And subscribe, subscribe, subscribe as I grow this thing from the ground up. I want to thank you for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode.